It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome back to the Rock Chalk Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Mitz, and I am joined tonight on the what we're calling the summer finale of the of the summer season of, of the podcast. Uh, I'm joined tonight by Steve Fetch. How are you doing tonight, Fetch? Hey, good. Long time no talk. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. It's actually has been a while, hasn't it? Um so we decided we've talked enough about football for the summer season. We we couldn't just ignore all the basketball stuff that was happening. So we wanted to just kind of do one final wrap up before we start getting into the, you know, ramping up for that beginning of season football coverage. Um, so we're, we're going to go ahead and just kind of blitz through all the all the news that's kind of happened, um, everything that we can think of to talk about regarding basketball. So let's let's go ahead and actually get started first. Which was a bigger surprise for you? I um, Was it LeGerald Vick returning to the team or Sam Cunliffe transferring? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I would probably say Vic just because he left and, and all the quotes from Bill Self were kind of, uh, you know, when he left, we thought that this would be the end of his career. And when the coach says that, you kind of think that that's the end of his career. So I'll, I'll say that. Cunliffe actually did surprise me a little bit just because he's already sat out a year. And with him transferring uh, at midseason to come into Kansas, it's a little bit different but you still didn't really expect him to leave and I think that he's got the type of game that Bill Self likes he's very athletic he obviously isn't there defensively yet but he's got that um, three-point shooting ability and and obviously his athleticism when you combine that together you think he probably could have forced his way into some playing time a little bit but I guess when LeGerald Vick came back he did give a couple of quotes that kind of made him realize that he wasn't going to be able to play in front of Vic and he's obviously not going to be playing in front of like a Marcus Garrett and, and probably not going to be able to get too many minutes. But I certainly think he's good enough to, 
make a mark at a, a really good program, just maybe not Kansas, I guess. But for for me, I think Vic obviously spent some time in the doghouse last year. So the fact that he's coming back and the fact that Bill Self you know, let him come back, I think, is, is a bigger surprise for me. Yeah, I think I'm going to say Cunliffe transferring, not really because, like, if if right after the season ended and Vic declared, you had asked me, you know, said these two things happen, or which which one would be a bigger surprise? I think I agree with with Vic coming back, but the fact is, you know, it the, this just the slow build up to that decision where you know, oh well, we find out that he declared, but he didn't sign an agent, you know, um, and then oh wait a minute, he actually pulled out of the draft. Okay, well he's exploring all of his. De- different options. Oh, well, Kansas still has a, a scholarship available. You know, there, there, there's a chance he could come back. He's talking with self about maybe doing that. Like just that slow buildup. So finally, when they announced that, yeah, he was coming back, it wasn't really that much of a surprise. It was more of a, well, yeah, that kind of makes sense for everybody as long as they can, you know, as long as everybody has clear expectations about what to expect from him. Cunliffe, I think, was really a surprise just because you think about him already having sat out a year um, obviously that is kind of minimized by the fact that, you know, because he sat out two half years and two different years of eligibility, he doesn't actually get any of that eligibility back. So he's, he's burned an, an entire year anyway, but his red shirt was still available for the transfer. So that, that kind of helped make it a little less surprising, but there really was no indication that he was thinking about transferring outside of the program, um, until he basically announced that he was going, going to go ahead and transfer. I mean, all, all the speculation was about, who was going to redshirt? Cunliffe was a, a redshirt candidate potentially, but I don't think anybody was really seriously talking about him transferring until all of a sudden he says, oh, I'm transferring. So it just in terms of like the news itself catching me off guard, I would probably say it's Cunliffe. But if you think about the entirety of the circumstances, I do agree. I think that Vic was less likely to return to KU than a guy like Cunliffe was to, to decide to transfer. So, so let's, let's kind of jump into those initially. Um, We'll go ahead and start with with Cunliffe transferring, and you've kind of talked about this a little bit. You know, I mean, is it is it really just the fact that you know in the next three years he probably wasn't going to be able to play a big role at Kansas, or was it more about getting immediate playing time? Do you think? Well, I think I think you're right that he he probably wants to play. I think he only has two years left, though. Um, last year was a sophomore year. Oh, I'm so. sorry, you're right. Yeah, well, but if he had stayed in redshirted, then he would have had two years after that. To you know, to to make an impact. So essentially, we're looking at a three-year window here at Kansas where he could be one of the guys that's playing heavily. Um, okay, I got, I got. So sure. yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think you only think about the transferring if you seriously don't think you're going to be a a big piece on any of the next three Kansas teams. Yeah, I think I think part of it was he probably just wanted to play. He was a top hundred recruit. I think he was a top fifty recruit actually. And those guys think they can come in and play right away and usually they're fairly correct so it's it's pretty remarkable or, or pretty rare to see a guy three years removed from being a top 50 recruit and be barely playing like he was last year so to me I think it was more of an immediate playing time thing I saw uh, I think it was Gary Bedore in the star had a thing where he's trying to transfer to Washington uh, where he's from so probably a, a little mix of that and a little mix of wanting to go back home. To me, I remember when he transferred from Arizona State, he said that he wanted to go closer to home and then obviously came to Kansas, yeah, which is true. no, no, it's, it's a lot of things, but it's notably not Washington. So he, uh, 
said that in this article here on the star, he said that he owes it to himself to uh, go to, to Washington uh, in Seattle where he's from. So I think that, that that's probably part of it, probably some homesickness and, and probably just some wanting to play right away because I think he could definitely play for a, a team like Washington and honestly would probably enjoy being the man on a team like that more than he would be being the fifth guard on a, a team like Kansas, even if he's going to have more team success on a team like Kansas. So probably a combo of those two for me. Yeah, and I think, I mean, you know, to be honest, a guy like that who still legitimately thinks he has a chance to play in the NBA, if he does redshirt and then doesn't find his way into a pretty big role in his junior season, waiting until your senior year to really have your first significant impact in college is not really a good way to get onto an NBA roster or even to be thought about by NBA teams. So it definitely makes sense that he wants to try to, um, you know, kind of keep himself in that conversation and be able to showcase his skills sooner rather than later. Um, but also, I mean, just even, you know, it's it's possible that he really wouldn't be able to get into the lineup in the next three years. I mean, you have to think that quite a few of these guys that we have this year are going to end up leaving, but they're going to continue to recruit over him. I mean, it's not like he has super phenomenal skills that, you know, he's definitely going to be a piece. I imagine if he had been working with Hootie for a while, He's going to get stronger. Like he could kind of develop into that guy, but there's no guarantee that any time in the next three years he was going to be one of the starters or even one of the heavy rotation pieces. So it definitely makes sense for that. Um, you know, also I do think that the fact that he transferred mid-year really did hurt him because he wasn't able to, you know, he, he was able to get in and practice, but he wasn't able to get in in the early games to really show what he could do to to build his way to that rotation. So he didn't really get a fair shot this year to work his way in. And then we have all that talent that's coming in this year. So he, he just never really was in a good situation to, to showcase what he can do going to a place like Washington or really anywhere else he could go. He's going to have a good opportunity to really show what he's able to do, uh, you know, showcase himself for the, for those NBA talent scouts. So ultimately I do think it's a good decision for him. It really makes sense. Um, for everybody involved. It's not like Kansas is going to be missing out on a, on a ton of things that he can do. They, they are completely stacked. So it doesn't hurt the team this year. It's probably not going to hurt the team down the road because there's no guarantee that he would have been a, a big contributor for them. So, all right. Any other final thoughts on Cunliffe? No, I think, you know, like I said, I, I just think it's probably a good move for him. I liked him, but I, I think you're right that he probably wasn't ever going to crack the roster yeah, or crack so, the lineup. So one thing, and and I don't think we'll we'll talk about this now just because it's really impossible to know at this point, but I would like to revisit maybe after this season coming up, where does Cunliffe rank on the, you know, former Kansas players that transferred over to other teams and, you know, like how, where does he stand on, on that list in terms of how talented he is or on how well of a career that he has way too early to speculate on that. But I, I do think that that's something that would be interesting to think about because I, I honestly think that he's one of the more talented guys that has left Kansas to go play elsewhere. So, um, but okay. So, so let's move on. Obviously the other news that we had talked about was LeGerald Le Vic deciding to pull out of the NBA draft and come back to Kansas. Um, we've already kind of talked about how surprised we were at that, but you know, I, where, where do you think he fits in, into this lineup? I mean, there's a, it's not like they really needed him for anything other than that outside shooter role, like the proven outside shooter, but given all the talent we have, especially out on the wings, I'm not sure, you know, if he can expect to get anywhere near the number of minutes that he had last year. I, I mean, do you think that that's a fair assessment? No, I, I think you're probably right, but I, I was thinking about this uh, a couple of days ago, and I think that he's actually, you know, a lot of people are kind of poo-pooing his return to Kansas, but I think this 
that uh, he's actually really the perfect addition to the roster, to be honest with you, because he's... Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, in terms of what we needed, he's definitely the kind of guy that you would want. You know, he is a proven shooter. He has the ability. He's shown the athleticism that we need, and he's going to be a, a, a senior leader. So, I mean, it's not like, you know, I mean, if, if you went out and picked anybody that was available um, to bring onto this team, I don't think you could have found anyone better than Vic for what this team particularly needs. But in terms right. of and, him personally showcasing himself, I'm not sure how much of an opportunity he's actually going to get. Right. Well, and the other thing, too, is he's, well, last year anyway, and I, and I guess a little bit the year before, too, but last year he was just so maddeningly inconsistent where, there was that stretch late in the non-conference season where he looked like he was going to be a, a first-team All-Big 12 guy, and then he spent most of January and February disappearing only to rebound at the end of the season and become really one of Kansas's best guys out there on the perimeter. Um, I remember that Duke game, you know, the, the three-point shooting was a little ugly, but uh, just in terms of getting himself uh, available for good shots in the zone, uh, for playing good defense and stuff. He was one of the better players on the floor. Uh, he had a really nice game against Clemson, a really nice game against Seton Hall. So he was, you know, he really showed up in the in the Big 12 tournament and in the NCAA tournament. And to me, that's kind of the guy you want because with Vic, you know pretty much immediately when you put him in there if he's going to have one of those games where he's just kind of floating around and doing nothing or if he's going to have a game where he's going to be one of the better players on the floor. Because there's no doubt athletically he's one of the best players in the entire conference. So if you put him out there and, and he, you know, loafs around and isn't playing great and doesn't seem like his head's in the game or, or isn't defending hard or just gets kind of lost on offense, then Kansas has so much talent that you can yank him and sit him for the rest of the game and not really have to worry about it. But if he's in there and, and playing well, well, all of a sudden you've got yet another weapon in there for you and, and Kansas really turns into another team. So, uh, honestly, when you have a team as stacked as Kansas is or, or as stacked as they appear to be this year, I personally think you would rather have a guy like Vic who's inconsistent but his ceiling is a little bit higher than a guy where even like a Marcus Garrett where you pretty much know where you're going to get from him game in and game out, and that's nice to have, but the ceiling's a little bit lower. So I think just a just a perfect addition when you look at all that uh, for, the, for the Jayhawks. And, and like you mentioned, he's probably going to be – the best outside shooter on the team this year. And that's going to be uh, probably a pretty big weakness this year. You don't really know how the new guys are going to shoot, obviously, until you get out there and actually watch them play. But Vic's a career 38% three-point shooter. He was at 37% last year, 37% as a sophomore. So he's a guy who Kansas is going to probably have to lean on a little bit uh, and a team that's probably going to be a little bit different look from what we're used to the last couple of years. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely agree. I mean, it is a little scary to me that I think Vic is probably going to be one of the better shooters um, just given how inconsistent he was. And obviously that, that could change if one of the guy, you know, the, the new guys starts lighting it up. But in terms of like known quantities going into this year, Vic is looking to be one of the better outside shooters of this team, and that is a little scary just with how inconsistent he was last year. Um, but, you know, with how stacked this team is, um, and honestly just the fact that all of these these transfer guys, we really don't know how good they're going to be um, or how well they're going to shoot from the outside. I've heard lots of talk about a bunch of different guys that have kind of been developing an outside shot, and obviously there's only so much you can actually do to develop an outside shot in, in college basketball. But um, there's just way too many unknowns. Um, 
so that actually kind of ties us into the next the next few uh, topics that I had, you know, kind of with just how stacked the team is. I'm actually going to go ahead and jump over to our first Twitter Q&A. Um, Kyle Davis, at Kyle Davis 21 went ahead and asked, um, let's see, actually, we're going to go ahead and go with his second question, which was the over-under uh, on T-Rob's freshman minutes per game of 7.2 for David McCormick this season. Just with everybody that we have down low, um, Azabuke, DeSosa, you know, McCormick, like, do you, do you think it's reasonable to think that he is going to have at least 7.2 minutes a game? I mean, I, I'm, I, I don't know that that's feasible. Yeah, and you, and you left out Dieter Klassen, who's probably the best player yeah, out of I all did. those guys. So <laughs> I think it I think it kind of depends. I think if the stuff with DeSosa's eligibility kind of hits the fan and he's maybe suspended for a while or, God forbid, ruled ineligible for the season, then I think you're probably looking at the over. If DeSosa plays and McCormick is behind him, he's behind Dieter Klassen, uh, he's behind Azubuki, obviously, and you, you add in the fact that Bill Self's probably going to go with some small ball lineups more often than he would if, if this roster were in place in, say, 2008 or 2010 or something like that. So you add all that together, and I, I think it's probably going to be the under, which is pretty weird to say about a guy who's a McDonald's All-American, but I just don't really see how he's going to play over Dietrich Kloss and how he's going to play over Ido Kazubuki. Um, I'm actually really, really high on Silvio DeSosa. So uh, when you, when you add all that together, I don't really know how he's going to play over all those guys um, or any of those guys, I guess. Um, so I'm, I'm going to say the under, but that's again, without ever having watched him play other than in the McDonald's all American game, which means nothing. So, if he shows up and, and balls out, then he could, obviously. But just kind of playing the percentages, I'm going to take the under. Yeah, I mean, I think what you were talking about doesn't even take into account that even the even the good freshmen that Self has had playing down low don't get a lot of playing time until they just really push the issue and make it so he has to play them a ton. Um, I mean, even, even Embiid wasn't getting big minutes until he broke out, you know, and then kind of like forced the issue. Um, we've had plenty of examples of guys that just, you know, even though they go on to be become All Americans, uh, you know, or they were McDonald's All Americans, like until or Bill Self has a well known penchant for going with the experienced guy, um, unless he is just absolutely forced to go with 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 the younger guy. So McCormick is kind of at a disadvantage there um, in terms of trying to get minutes. You know, unless what you were talking about with DeSouza being an, you know, if if he is ineligible, obviously that would open up a lot more minutes. Um, I do think it's more likely that we're going to see, you know, t- at least 20 minutes a game from from each of Azubuke, DeSouza, and Lawson. I mean, and, and and that's on the low end for all those guys. If 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 those three all average 25 minutes a game, then that only leaves like five minutes for for McCormick to get, and that's if you know nobody else is in there. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we're we are we are really looking at a possibility of him not getting very minutes, and yet he could be a very, very good player for us even then in that I just, role. So. I just looked it up because this, this year's front line reminds me a little bit of the 2008 front line, not in terms of personnel or anything, but just in terms of how many guys there are that are really good. And right. obviously you remember Cole Aldrich was a freshman on that 2018. Yeah, how many minutes up, did he get? He got 8.3 minutes per game. So that maybe maybe McCormick does sneak over um, because if, if he can – 
display a little bit of ball skills. Maybe he can get in there at like a four in kind of a, a twin towers type look. Although you got to think maybe Mitch Lightfoot is in line for those backup four minutes a little bit, at least at the start of the season. So uh, the, I think that 7.2 is is a pretty interesting number. So it, it's going to be right around there. I'll, I'll stick with the under, but I certainly wouldn't be surprised because I don't, I, I don't remember Cole Aldrich ever playing really in the regular season. So yeah. Right. Yeah, I'm wondering how much of that was influenced by NCAA tournament and, game. And, I mean, because he played forever in the uh, in in the Final Four game, if I remember right. Well, comparatively yeah. forever. Right. But and ob- did, obviously, yeah. there were a lot of blowouts that year, so I'm sure he got in. But there's going to be you have to think a lot of blowouts this year. So maybe it, maybe it will sneak over just when you factor in garbage time. But I don't think he's going to be a significant player during non-garbage time at all. Yeah. Well, you know, and actually segues perfectly into the next topic um you know i was looking um obviously the big news that is that comes out a lot of times as we get to this point in the season is like the way too early uh rankings and all of that espn released their bpi rankings recently and kansas was solidly at number one uh with the big 12 solidly as the the top conference in the bpi do you think that that's deserved on on both cases i mean obviously we're stacked with talent i'm not that surprised about it but there's definitely some arguments to make about some other teams, um, thinking specifically Duke. Um, but the Big 12, I mean, was, was very solidly as the number one conference. Are you surprised about either of those rankings? I think the Big 12, you got to remember when it comes to the Big 12, is obviously if it depends on how you rank it, right? If you're taking an, an average of all the teams or kind of a median of all the teams, the Big 12 doesn't have the Georgia Techs and the Boston Colleges of the world like the ACC does. So they really gain a lot by every game being at least somewhat in doubt. Um, Obviously, if you play in the ACC or or SEC or really any other Power 5 conference other than uh, Big 12, (laughs) there's... Yeah. Pac-12 no, has just a, so many bad teams. That, is that a Power 5 conference anymore? Um, <laughs> if, if you play in one of those, you, you've obviously got a handful of teams where it's it's a pretty free win, uh, kind of regardless. Um, whereas in the Big 12, you at least have to show up and play reasonably well to win. So on that front, yeah, I'm, I'm not terribly surprised. Although I, I do think at the top, the Big 12 is probably going to take a little bit of a step back this year as compared to the last couple of years. Of course, I thought that last year too, and it ended up being a really good year for the big oh, 12. Gosh, yeah, it, was, it was ridiculous. Right. Yeah. But other, other than Kansas and K-State. Um, and probably West, West Virginia too. Yeah, I don't prob- there. yeah, you're right. Probably West Virginia. Um, in fact, I'm actually, West Virginia was actually ranked number five in the BPI as well. So I, I oh, think, wow. I think a lot of that though, just has to do with returning minutes, um, especially from a guy like Kanade. Yeah. Um, I'm so I'm a I little mean, high on uh Texas as well and you know yeah, I think they're they in the top 25 as well so yeah I'm yeah, not surprised I, about that. I think the Big 12 is going to be pretty good this year in terms of teams that are just uh in that back half of the top 25 of of the country and just kind of when you look at 3 through 6 or 7 in the league really any team finishing third wouldn't surprise me too much. I think KU and and I still believe in K State. There's kind of an advanced stats case out there to be made that they're not maybe as good as people think, but I I still think they're solidly going to be second in the league. And then I think you look at maybe a West Virginia, Texas, Oklahoma, even Iowa State. I think that next group of four um, are all pretty indistinguishable from each other and pretty good. So I I just think that they're going to be the Big Twelve is going to be a solidly deep 
league this year, but they're in terms of, um, you know, looking at final four contenders and stuff, they're really going to be looking to Kansas to carry the banner in that regard. Yeah. And since you brought it up, our other Twitter Q and a from, from Kyle Davis, um, chances we see an all state of Kansas preseason big 12 first team. That's kind of been floating out there. I've seen it from a couple different places saying that it's possible um, that we could see the entire first, you know, preseason big 12 first team being made up from players at KU and K state. Um, Personally, I think a guy like Kanate is going to sneak in there. Um, you know, I mean, I don't think it'll be all, but I wouldn't be surprised to see four out of the five being K or KU and K State. What about you? Yeah, I think it's probably going to be four. Um, I think Kanate. I'm actually when the season ended last year, and before I realized how good Quentin Grimes was, and before I really dug into the Diedrich Loss and stuff. Uh, he was kind of a, a guy that I was thinking of making the preseason player of the year in the Big 12 this year. So I think he's a guy who definitely is going to be on that first team. Um, he's the best interior defender in the conference, probably now that uh, Javon Carter's gone, the best defender overall. So he should definitely be on the first team. But I think the other four are probably going to be the, the KU trio uh, of Lawson, Azubuki, and Grimes, and then probably Dean Wade finishing that uh, that roster out. But I mean, there's just so many, you know, Lindell Wigginton would have an argument and a lot of other conferences, um, you know, even a guy like Andrew Jones, although you got to worry about how he's going to come back from leukemia, you know, right, not, exactly. Well, and, not and, exactly like he had a cold. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, 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 and Wigginton is actually a guy that I think could have, could be making a run for like player of the year preseason and a lot of other conferences too, other than maybe like the ACC. So, right. I mean, yeah, he's, I mean, we've got a lot of talented guys on other teams. The problem is that, you know, KU is just completely stacked right. with well, all the transfers. And I have a hard time believing, yeah, that like Dean Wade, best player off of a team that went to the Elite Eight last year, um, is not going to get that nod, especially right. since you could tell that they missed him, you know, so, so big in the, in those games in the tournament. So. Yeah. One, one other guy just to mention too, that I think probably should get some consideration is Jalen Fisher at TCU. They really kind of, fell off a cliff last year after he got hurt and his numbers were really good. But it's, again, it's, you know, who do you, you can't really justify taking anyone off the list to put him on. So yeah, exactly. yet, yet another year where I'm going to be looking at it and kind of throwing darts at who to pick, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and as is usually the case for the big 12, there's usually about, you know, nine or 10 guys that are all good enough to be on the team. It's just a matter of who are people actually going to pick and who's getting the most hype at the moment. So all right, so let's let's jump back to the Kansas team really quick. I know we were kind of briefly talking about it, but even with Sam Cunliffe transferring, what do you think the likelihood is that anyone redshirts from this team? Um, Ajabai is probably the most likely candidate, I think. Um, there's been a lot of chatter about Mitch Lightfoot maybe redshirting as well. Um, which which do you think is most likely, or do you think that neither of them redshirts now? So I think is it is it Agbaji? Is that how you pronounce it? Ajabai, or it's. Yeah, I'm not sure. I think it was like okay. Ajabahi or something is what I had last heard, but I just okay. I think I said it now three different times on this podcast. Okay, I'm going with Agbaji because I think that's that's just how I read it. So uh, I've never that heard works. it. I've never heard it spoken. So uh, apologies yeah, I, all around here. Yeah, exactly. I, I listen to the other KU podcast, like the the KU Sports Hour, and then also um, the the Fog.net one that Scott Chasen has a. Uh, 
started up over there, and I believe that's how they pronounced it, but I'm okay. not certain. So okay, well, well, when one of them comes on, we'll have them pronounce it for us. So I'm, and I'm, I mean, I'm terrible with names. So Charlie Moore is enough work for me. So yeah, <laughs> but I think I think he's probably gonna redshirt. You just look at kind of the the glut of people in front of him, and you don't really see how he can get on the floor. And I think he's a guy who. Obviously, all these guys. When you, when you go to a place like Kansas, you think you're going to play in the NBA. But he's a, I think he was like number 75 or something like that in the top 100. The last I saw um, on the recruiting rankings, and so those guys aren't, you know, generally people who get who leave early to go to the NBA. So you got to think he's going to be here for four years. So if you can get that extra year of development uh, out of him, and he's a late riser too, and you kind of like to see those guys get an extra year of development as well. So I think he's a good candidate to redshirt. Um, Mitch Lightfoot, you know, I think he definitely could, especially if DeSosa is eligible. I think he's the type of guy where his biggest uh, quote-unquote problem, I guess, out there is that he just needs to get stronger. He obviously grew a lot um, outwards in terms of adding muscle between his freshman and his sophomore year. If he could just spend a year really only focusing on that, I think that you would have a chance uh, to get a, a pretty nice player out of him because he definitely in spurts last year came in and really showed that he could contribute. And his problem is when he gets matched up one-on-one defensively against a post defender, he just didn't really have a chance because he was too small and couldn't keep guys from getting too much uh, position on him. But he's a really good help defender, uh, really good at, at – uh, timing the ball in terms of offensive rebounds. Defensive rebounding, he needs to be a little bit better and, and he needs to get better at setting screens. But that's another thing where I think just getting bigger and being a little bit more confident that if you set a screen, you can set a solid one and you don't really need to spread out and set an illegal screen or, or get there too uh, late and set an illegal screen is going to help him. So I think that if they do decide to redshirt him, I think it would be probably not the worst idea. But I also think that himself maybe just wants to get him through and, and, you know, not get him out, so to speak, but they can probably recruit over him. So there's probably not much harm in him just playing the next couple of years and exhausting his eligibility. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, I, I mean, I don't think, well, Agbaji, I believe is going to redshirt mainly because, you know, he's actually talked about the possibility of doing that already and said he'd be open to it. And I, I agree. It's going to be really hard for him to crack the lineup, even for, you know, like final minutes of a blowout or things like that. Like that, that's pretty much the only minutes I think he's going to get all year long. So it definitely makes sense for him to go ahead and redshirt. Um, but yeah, I mean, which actually it's kind of weird. I'm looking here on the, on the official KU roster and it actually lists him as a guard. I thought he was a forward, but uh, I'm guessing he's probably more of like a, a small forward or a, or a wing. Um but yeah, regardless of where you put him, he's probably going to be last in the depth chart for his particular position, just above the walk-ons. One, because he's a freshman, um, and two, just because we have so many other talented guys. So um, Lightfoot, I think he might benefit from a redshirt year, um, just you know to give him more time in the in the weight room and everything. And I again, I feel he's going to have a hard time cracking the lineup. Um, he's going to be fighting with McCormick for that you know four-string minutes. And I just I just don't know who's actually going to win that. I think McCormick is more talented. So end of the year, Mitch Lightfoot's probably going to find himself in a situation where he's just not playing very much at the end of the year. He might play a lot at the beginning just because, again, you know, uh, Self really likes to play the guys that he's he's had before. 
Um, but I, I do think that he's going to find himself in a position where he's just not going to have any minutes at the end of the year. And so he's probably going to be well served to redshirt if he can decide that that's what he wants to do. So, all right. So final, final thought here on the next season, um, you know, just a, a, a way too early for this, but let's, let's do some quick lineup predictions. I want, I want your lineup prediction starting lineup for the beginning of the season. So like on, on, on the opening day. Um, but then also what you think it's going to morph into long-term, if there's any guy that you think is going to be able to prove himself and, and kind of get in there at the end. Sure. Um, I actually think it's going to be, hmm, I'm going to go Charlie Moore uh, as a starting point guard. I will go in terms of the two, three, I'm going to go Quentin Grimes and I'm actually going to go Marcus Garrett. And then I'm going to go Dieter Lawson and Yudoka Azubuki. Uh, in the front court. I think that, that Marcus Garrett spot is the one where you could see maybe even a LeGerald Vick, uh, maybe a Devin Dotson if they want to go smaller. That's probably the spot where you can kind of play around with it based on who's playing well and based on the opponent and stuff. But I, I think that, that five... Do you think that's like what they get to at the end of the year, or do you think that's what they start with? I'm gonna say I'm gonna say both. I don't. I think that okay. that's probably. I think that's probably their best five, and I don't really see any any reason to back off it, to be honest with you. But like I said, I think it that that spot with with Garrett is the spot where because I, I kind of like Marcus Garrett coming off the bench, depending on what you need out of him. If if you need ball handling and maybe Charlie Moore's in foul trouble or something, you can sub him in to play point. Um, if you need to go to maybe a little bit bigger of a look, you can do that as well. If you want to go to a little bit smaller of a look, he can sub in for a Diedrich Lawson even and play the four. So I, I do like having his versatility off the bench, but I just think reading between the lines last year of how he talked about him um, and just how watching him play, I think that he fits the way that self likes to coach a lot. And I think self likes him a lot. So I think it's going to be tough to keep him on off the floor. So I think that's, probably going to be my starting five both at the start of the year and at the end of the year. Yeah, I think um actually I kind of have to agree with that. Although I do think that um that there's an opportunity there for um Gerald Vick to start the year in the starting lineup over Garrett. Um and and I I'm waffling on either side either going to be Garrett or Moore that gets replaced to start. Um because I I do think that Garrett can play point guard I don't think he's the best point guard on the on the team though. Like I think that's a position that self is going to prioritize and so I think Moore is going to go ahead and get that. Um but but I you know, I do think that that they could potentially go with a lineup of Garrett, Grimes, Vic, Lawson and then Azubuke. Um you know, I think that that's a, a workable lineup and kind of depending on how that those first few practices go and exhibitions go and things like that. Like I could see that that being the lineup at the beginning of the year, but I, I do agree. It's going to work its way. I think to more Grimes, Garrett Lawson, and then Otsubuke barring obviously injuries or any other, you know, weird things going on that cause guys, or, you know, the only, like the only other thing I think that could potentially change um, is if Otsubuke has issues again with his versatility, or I'm sorry, with his, with his durability. Um, and a guy like McCormick just comes on like crazy. Um, I don't think he's going to replace Lawson. I think there's an opportunity for him to do that with Azubuke, but it would take just an absolute insane um, progression from McCormick. I, I don't, I don't think that's very likely, but I do think that's probably the only other place where someone could get displaced from that starting five that you gave. So um, Vic, I think potentially could start the year, but I don't think he'll be in the starting lineup by the end of the year. Um, and then Azubuke, really, it's going to take Azubuke either getting injured or just having 
big problems, I think, for for him to get replaced. But I think those are really the only two spots. So, all right. Any other any other thoughts about the team coming up this next year? Uh, no, I well, I, obviously we we will definitely in the future. But no, I think well, for now right, it's, right. it's it's best to wait and see maybe what you know things look like even in that even in that late night scrimmage. But yeah, definitely once uh, exhibitions in the season get underway before we make too many grand pronouncements. Yeah. So I was thinking about trying to now now that we have a scholarship open, I was thinking about trying to talk about any kind of basketball recruiting. But I, I don't think at this point there's really anyone that jumps out that's worth talking about. There was the one guy in the 2019 class that's looking to reclassify, but this again, this team is so stacked. I don't think it makes sense for him to kind of try to jump in here if he really does reclassify. Um, I don't think there's really an opportunity for him to come here. He's probably going to stick closer to home. Um, so uh, there's just not enough news there, I think, to make it worth talking about. And then obviously with with no idea who's going to end up leaving. Like the only guy we know for sure is leaving is Vic, but there's at least five or six guys that could jump to the NBA early. Um, so the the recruiting landscape is going to look completely different for this team, probably even halfway through the season. So it, I don't think it makes much sense to talk about them now. Um, if any big news comes up, we can definitely jump into it in later episodes of the podcast, probably when the season starts. Um, so let's let's jump into the other the other I guess quote unquote big news that happened regarding Kansas basketball. It wasn't about any of the current teams. It's that the rivalry renewed series, something that was organized by Kareem Rush from Missouri. Um, obviously endorsed by his brother Brandon Rush, um, you know, where basically a bunch of Kansas, well, old old Kansas guys essentially, Kansas All Stars playing against some from some former Missouri All Stars. Um, Rush, Brandon Rush, obviously led all scores. I think he had like 46 points or something ridiculous like that. So first of all, what 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 were your thoughts on a game like this? Is this something that you'd see as being worthwhile for them to be doing on a regular basis, especially since it's for charity? Yeah, I think as long as it's you know, for charity type stuff, I certainly, I mean, who who would say no, don't raise money for charity, you know, but um, yeah, I think that this is kind of a, a good middle ground where it, it doesn't matter. I honestly, I couldn't even tell you right now the score of the game. Um, I didn't even know it was happening the day that it happened until I saw people tweeting about it. So <laughs> that, that kind of stuff and stuff like even that, that basketball tournament thing on ESPN that they have with the two million winner take all. I don't really get into any of that stuff, to be honest with you. So what so. you're saying is that you don't read the articles in the news and notes. Uh, that's correct. That's, <laughs> that's very correct. Yeah. Um, but as, as far as that goes, yeah, I think it's a, a great idea to raise money for charity. Obviously the interest is there. I think the interest is probably there a little bit more on the Missouri side than the Kansas side, but nonetheless, there's probably plenty of interest on both sides. Yeah, I think this kind of scratches the itch for a lot of people that want to see Kansas versus Missouri. Um, yeah, and it's it's without, not like any of the money or attention or whatever goes to Missouri, so it's it's a right. good way to good way to raise money while still being able to still not having to play them. Yeah. Um, so, so, so I've also heard that. in the follow up to it, there there's actually talk about trying to add additional teams like from other schools, so like maybe Illinois or a few other ones. I think that makes sense to like, you know, expanding it from the Missouri side. Um, they, they were talking about getting basically other Missouri rivals or quote unquote rivals. Um, sure. So, I mean, I, I think it could be an interesting kind of charity type tournament. It, it'd be a really nice event, I think, for, for Kansas City area people um, not really living in the KC area. I don't know how much I will continue to follow it, but it'd be nice to you know continue to be able to troll Missouri fans when Kansas wins, as they inevitably will pretty much every year. So. 
Um, the other, the other kind of interesting thing to come out of that was the, the quote from Sharon Collins. Um, you know, he actually said, and this was another thing linked in the news and notes. He said that he still quote, hates everything about Missouri end quote. So do you still feel the same way about Missouri in general or specific teams or anything like that? Or is it kind of at this point, I know we've had this discussion before, but I mean, has, has the rivalry really died for you at this point or, or do you still kind of laugh at Missouri every chance you get? Well, I think obviously, you know, you don't want them to win or experience success or anything like that. And I thought it was, you know, pretty funny when they lost in the first round of the NCAA tournament after, you know, talking about how dangerous they were going to be now Norfolk with, Michael State, Porter, gotta love it. with Michael Porter Jr. getting healthy and stuff like that. But no, oh, I, oh, you're I, talking about recently. Okay. I, I yeah, was thinking, yeah, yeah. I was thinking the last time they were actually expected to do something in the NCAA tournament and oh, sure. getting upset sure. as a number two seat, but you're right. Yeah, and the, there was a lot of people. I, I heard way too many people, especially even out here in Virginia, talking about Missouri as a potential sleeper pick um, to make it into like you know the Elite Eight or something like that. And it was just a ridiculous thought that Michael Porter Jr. could come back and lead them deep into the right. tournament. So, all right. So, yeah, I I don't really um, I don't really care. I mean, I obviously I dislike them and don't want them to do well, but it's not like I check the box stores to see how they do so right uh, i think and i think that's pretty typical of the way it is for kansas fans in general where i think missouri fans are obviously a lot more invested in yeah. how kansas does than vice versa but uh, that's i guess probably a natural thing when you know they haven't had nearly as much success either recently or historically uh, as kansas has yeah i i agree i mean I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat like if they ever started playing again i might care a little bit, but it won't ever be at the same level unless they were to rejoin the conference, which we all know isn't going to happen. So, um, but yeah, I still do get a chuckle every time they do something stupid or, you know, make it give us a reason to laugh at them essentially. So, all right. So final, final topic for the night. Um, it was recently announced actually just earlier this week, um, that the NCAA has changed the recruiting calendar. And I know, and I know you haven't really gotten into it too much. I've kind of only kind of looked at it a little bit. And I do think that kind of the impact of this um, is not really going to be known until, you know, we've gone through a couple years of it to see how, how anything's different. But essentially what they did is they, they changed the July um, evaluation period where before we were having, I think it was like three different weekends that had um, big tournaments for AAU teams um, put on by the different shoe companies. They narrowed that down to just a single weekend, which is right now it's the Nike Peach Jam um, every single year. That is now the only one that is allowed. Under Armour and Adidas typically will do theirs the week after. Um, they're not going to be allowed to keep that spot anymore. So they're either going to have to go to the same weekend as the Peach Jam and be competing for players, um, or they're just going to have to basically let Nike have that all to themselves. I'm not sure how all that's going to shake out. Um but do you think that this is going to, you know, the only other change that they're doing is essentially now the rest of that, they're going to have um, the NCAA, USA Basketball, a bunch of different groups are getting together now to co collaborate on putting a camp together for about, I think I saw three to 4,000 uh, players, um, the, the high school players, focusing on seniors and juniors. Um, do you, one, do you think that that's something that's likely to be successful at all? Um, and then two, how much do you think that's really going to change the ability to evaluate players? It really, it really, you know, like you said, we're going to have to wait and see, but it really does seem like it's going to be a little bit of a mess right away. Who knows how this is all going to work? 
Um, I did see a couple of things that it's probably going to impact the the low and mid majors a little bit more than the people like Kansas. I saw that um, basically all the coaches get to nominate players to go to these camps or this camp at the end of July, if I'm reading this correctly. And I saw a couple of quotes from, and I can't remember who who tweeted them, uh, so I apologize, but a couple of quotes from some mid-major coaches basically saying that they're not going to nominate anyone that they're looking at or that have 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 seen play or, or are actively recruiting just because they don't want eyes on them. So what they're going to do is just take the the rivals or 24-7 or whatever top 30 list and just nominate those guys or uh, one coach uh, anonymously said he's going to scour Twitter for the top targets that the rivals are recruiting that they're not and nominate those players so that the the higher major teams see those players and try to poach them. So I think that's going to be kind of an interesting <laughs> little thing to watch how that works with the mid-majors. But in terms of the major uh, players, I don't think it's going to be the biggest uh, deal. Um, I think that um, you're still going to get the best players in front of the best coaches. Um, the Peach Jam is still going to be there, which definitely gives Nike a, a big uh, leg up over uh, Adidas and Under Armour. And I think that uh, – Something I'm sure is going to have to give uh, on that end because that's where kind of the real recruiting wars are in college basketball are between those shoe companies. But that's probably going to take a while to to shake down. So from a Kansas perspective, I don't think a lot is going to change, but definitely something to to watch and and look at going forward. Because uh, as anyone who has ever listen to this podcast or read anything I've written. I definitely am not a big recruiting guy. I definitely don't follow it uh, just because it's so tough to see these kids, obviously, and I don't want to make uh, and have an opinion on them without seeing them play. But there's definitely no question that in terms of the most important part of college basketball or the, the lifeblood of college basketball is recruiting because that's how you get the players and the, the players are what matters. So it could potentially have big impacts uh, for Kansas, but I, you know, kind of one of those things where you have to wait and see yeah the only other changes to this that i'm seeing um they're, they're actually gonna be able to do in-home visits in april which is something that wasn't allowed previously um the the what was had been the july period is now being broke up between june and july it actually looks like the the schools let's see so state high school associations or basketball coach associations in each of the individual states will be able to put on um events there so, I mean, there's going to be a lot of different new new opportunities, but I do think it's it's definitely going to going to hurt. I think a lot of these smaller time recruits from getting discovered. You know, uh, there was a story out there about how uh, Javon Carter wouldn't have been discovered if if uh, you know they didn't have all of these different events and he was just toiling away on a on a basketball court all by himself, um, and he just happened to be seen by Bob Huggins. So. You know, those kind of stories, we're not going to see nearly as many of them because it's literally just going to be the top guys that are getting invited to these big these big events, and there's just not going to be very much anymore for, for these small, out-of-nowhere guys to get discovered. So I think that's going to be the biggest the biggest impact is that we're just not going to hear nearly as many stories about guys like Mike Dom or, or other guys that nobody would have, you know, even thought to, to recruit if they didn't have a breakout at a big tournament or something like that. So, um but again, like the overall, like we, we won't get a true evaluation of how these changes look and how they've actually made an, an, an impact on the college recruiting landscape until we've gone through at least a couple of years of it. So 
um, you know, it, it, it definitely reads to me like a making a bunch of change changes just for change sake. I'm not sure how well a lot of these proposals were researched. It was more of a, you know, we said these are the problems so we're going to do something that at least appears to address them. But, you know, if, if that camp that's being put on by all four of those organizations bombs, you know, spectacularly, we could easily go back to what we had before. And yet it would get even worse because that would re-entrench the fact that, um, you know, it may not be perfect, but this is the best model that we have. And so it would give the shoe companies even more power in the recruiting landscape, I think. So there's definitely some some risk there of doing this and it blowing up and then it makes whatever the perceived problems were even worse. So, all right. Any, any other final thoughts about anything college basketball related? I don't want to get into any football stuff. We'll save that for, for next week. Actually, programming note for you guys that are listening, um, I actually have gotten both Scott Chasen and Jesse Newell to agree to appear on the podcast in the next few weeks here so we can preview the football season. And I'm sure we'll have a couple basketball topics thrown in there randomly, but uh, you know, so, so we'll get a lot of opportunity to talk to them about football. So I won't delve into the football world now, but uh, any other, any other topics you want to talk about real quick or any other final thoughts you want to leave us? With no, I, uh, I think we've, uh, we've exhausted all. I think I've got some Taco Bell with my name on it too. Nice. Sounds good. All right. Well, in that case, we'll go ahead and leave it there. Fetch, thanks for joining me tonight. All you guys listening, thanks Thanks for joining us. As usual, you can uh, contact us on Twitter at Rock Chalk Talk. You can email us, rctsbn at gmail.com. Um, you, you can t- contact both me or Fetch personally on, on Twitter as well. We are more than happy to answer any kind of um, college or Kansas basketball questions that, that we you know, have some sort of insight on, but uh, we're always loving to talk about Kansas sports. So, um, again, thank you for joining us. We will be back probably late next week or early the week after that with some football preview. That will be the official start of the third season of the Rock Chalk Talk podcast. But um, signing off for the summer now, we will catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk Talk podcast. Network. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.